Today we continue our series in Mark as we study the call of the first disciples. Jesus is king and he calls people to follow him. Jesus calls ordinary people from ordinary places and he remakes us by his grace for an extraordinary purpose. Jesus is calling you and Jesus wants to use you to call others. Hear now his word from Mark chapter 1 verses 16 through 20. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God is forever. Thank you, Cardo. Good morning, everybody. It is a joy to worship with you this morning. We are going to uh, stay in Mark chapter 1 and, and actually look at other places around Scripture. If you have your Bibles, uh, be ready. We're going to flip around a little bit. And uh, before we get started, I want to tell you I embrace the expectations. I walked into church this morning and, and someone asked me, I'm within you know, moments of getting here, they said, what are your book recommendations for African History Awareness Month, Celebration Month, uh, here, and uh, what are your reading recommendations? And I was ready. I'm ready. So I wanted to start off with a few books uh, that I want to recommend for you as we continue to grow. The first is from the H.E. Butt Foundation. It's not a book. It's actually a pamphlet, a paper. Um, they do have a phenomenal project called the Narrative Change Project. And a woman named Dacry, a guy named uh, Patton Dodd, had that up. And this paper is written on San Antonio, the history of uh, civil rights from uh, World War II to the 1960s in our city. Uh, nothing like extremely revolutionary, but very informative. And I want to uh, recommend that to you. It's by a guy named Kerry Lattimore. And I can email you that link. And uh, if you look through the Narrative Change Project, I think you'd learn a lot about our city. Uh, actually, it's, it's well worth your time. Uh, they have a phenomenal program going on. Uh, I want to recommend specifically uh, a, a book by an author that I've recommended before, uh, Jamar Tisby. He wrote a book called The Color of Compromise. I recommended this last year. A reformed thinker, African-American from Mississippi. Uh, and this is on the, the history of race in the church in the United States. If you will read this book, I'll give you this copy. It's an extra one that I have. Uh, and the book I want to recommend this month that's new is his second book that's just out. It's called How to Fight Racism. And in a world where biblical categories of justice are being hijacked by cultural categories and agenda, I think it is best practice to run towards people that help us think biblically about major social issues. I think this book does it with excellence. You will not agree with everything in the book, but you'll be glad uh, that you read it. It will equip you and empower you. It's very good. This final recommendation is for families. The Gospel Coalition uh, has come out with a series, and this is their newest. It's called The Gospel in Color, and it has a children's guide and a family devotional guide on scripture. Uh, it's very well, uh, it's very well illustrated. You see this? So some of us can just like looking at the pictures and that's our reading for the, for the month, African American History Month. But this is a book that is a theology of racial reconciliation for kids and families. Uh, we really want to think biblically about everything. 
we do not want to forfeit anything that God says is his to the culture and what the loudest voices are saying. You know what that's called? Discipleship. Following Jesus in absolutely all of life. Asking the question, what does the king's word say about this issue in my heart, in my home, and in society? And as we look at Mark chapter 1, we're going to see how Jesus captures and calls people into discipleship. And he does so, he's surprising people in surprising places that he wants to use for his kingdom. And and I'm convinced of this this morning. Jesus is calling you and he wants to use you to call other people into his kingdom. I want to remind you of the context before we pray. It was just last week that we looked at the two verses where Jesus begins to proclaim the kingdom of God. He calls people to repent and to return to the king. And this is the bookend of the first section of Mark chapter 1 where the gospel of Jesus Christ is highlighted. The announcement of the true king, the son of God. The time had been fulfilled. Historically, the prophecies of God about the forerunner that would come, that was John the Baptist. It was fulfilled. Practically, Jesus was revealed as the king of kings. He faithfully represented God's people and he faithfully identified with God's people. That is the import that comes when Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. Mark has clearly articulated that he is in fact the king. And what is the first thing this king does? He calls people. He captures people. And he wants to use people. So before we study the word of God, let's go to God of the word. And I'm going to ask you to pray with me for the Holy Spirit to ambush your heart. Will you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are king. Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to see you and your work more fully. I pray, King Jesus, that you would move us from a place of familiarity to following you that you would give us hearts to receive your call and to believe your rule and your reign. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so the first thing we're gonna see is, is a surprise number one. Surprise, Jesus calls unlikely people from unlikely places. The king is revealed as walking along, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, and he doesn't, begin calling people into his kingdom from places of prominence. He doesn't begin with political powerful people. He doesn't begin with really popular people in society. He doesn't begin with with individuals that have a depth of pedigree. Jesus begins on the coast of Galilee and he goes to small fishing villages. They dot the shore on this rather large lake that is the sea. Families live on this coast and they are very remote. They see fishing as their livelihood. It's an unlikely place for a king to begin calling people into his kingdom, generally overlooked, always bypassed, unless it is your destination. 
and it was for the king. Jesus begins to call people from this unlikely place. They're unlikely people. All through Mark, we're going to see how Jesus uses the Sea of Galilee to display his kingdom. Later in this chapter, we're going to see him heal the demoniac on the other side of the lake. We're going to see him all through Mark chapter 4, chapter 13, him preaching and teaching alongside this lake even once from a boat. You'll remember that narrative. This is the place that Jesus was passing alongside. And it says that he saw Simon and Andrew. I mean, this is super ordinary. This isn't an extraordinary thing of the king of kings that, that, is, that is launching his kingdom in, in utter power and Avenger superhero strength. He's just walking. He's just passing alongside. He just sees ordinary people. You know, in fact, these were people that Jesus had even met before. You could go back to John chapter 1 and read uh, when Jesus first met Simon and Andrew in the wilderness when John was baptizing. They followed Jesus. And Andrew and John, actually, Simon and Andrew actually took up Jesus' invitation. When Jesus said to them, come and stay with me. Come and see what I'm about. And they were familiar with Jesus. They followed Jesus. But there's a difference between Mark 1 and John 1. They move from being familiar to following. You see, when Jesus captures us in his kingdom, when he calls us with his love, there is this irresistible nature that we must leave everything and follow him. Where are you this morning? Are you in a place where Jesus is just familiar to you, that you know a little bit about him? Maybe you come to church every now and then, Bible study every now and then, but you don't really follow him? Has his love really captured you where he is not just a, an aspect of your life, but he is really Lord of all of your life? You see, it's super ordinary if you look down in the passage. They were fishermen casting their nets in the sea. They were just doing what they did. And Jesus interrupts them. If you've ever been fishing, you know you don't like to be interrupted. You don't like any noise. You don't want fish to be scared away. And even more so for guys like Simon and Andrew, this was their livelihood. They had deadlines to meet, to bring fish to shore, to take them to market, to earn the money that they needed for their family business. It was important. And Jesus interrupts those very important priorities with his simple call, follow me. But too often it's the priorities of our life, the priorities of good things like business and family and land and, and recreational activities and, and jobs. Those priorities will compete with the priority of the king who calls us. In ordinary life, in ordinary times, ordinary people like you and like me. And surprise, the second thing we see is that Jesus calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Jesus says it super clearly. Look down in your passage. Jesus said to them, follow me. If you go down in the passage a little further, you see that when he came to James and John, the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, he says the same thing, follow me. He said, follow me is just to, to come join me on this path that I'm walking. Come side by side in fellowship with me, mutual participation with me. Come, be my disciple. Come, be my student. Come, 
allow me to make you become. That's what he's inviting them to. Come, follow me. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. These are ordinary guys that have nothing that qualify them for the king to reach out to them. Absolutely nothing. How ordinary were they? Were they? They were so ordinary that in Mark chapter 10, you see that their mama does their bidding for them. They ask Jesus for a special favor. Hey, Jesus, do you mind if my boys, James and John, you know, can you give them a special place in your kingdom? James and John, the sons of Zebedee, sons of thunder, they had the classic case of the mama's boys. They were ordinary, like you and like me. In fact, when you get to Acts chapter 4, and, and, and Simon, who is Peter, and John are described by people, they're described as common, unschool, and ordinary men. There's nothing special about them except this extraordinary God that makes a call on their life. He says, I will make you become fishers of men. He redefines their familiar, their ordinary days are going to be redefined for an extraordinary purpose. And this is what the king does. When you follow him, he takes your passions, he takes your skills, he takes what you're good at them, and he redeems them. He redefines them, and he redirects them so that they can be used for the kingdom of God. And Jesus looks at James and John and Simon and Andrew, and he says, I will make you fishers of men. And this is significant, and I'm going to pull back a little bit and try to do something that I wasn't necessarily planning on doing in our sermon discussion class where we try to go deeper. Aaron and Carter Ray have called it the deep end. I shared something from the Old Testament, and they challenged me to share it in here. And I said, well, you know what you're asking me to do? You're asking me to rewrite part of my sermon. And they said, we're okay with that. So (laughs) if this gets messed up, it's not my fault. But why fishers of men? If you think about fishing... Fishing can be uh, seen in a couple of ways. One, you throw a bait out and you want to hook some, a fish, right? And you want a fish to grab that bait and you're going to reel them in. That's, that's an idea of fishing. Or another idea of fishing uh, is cast netting. I love to cast net. If you've ever been to the coast, uh, you have a net, you turn, you throw it. And, and, you know, fish are just swimming. They're just enjoying their day. And the net comes on top of them. You pull the string and... They don't have a choice. They're just out of the water (laughs) and into my pot for dinner. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. All right. So that's other, uh, is that what Jesus is calling people to, to intentionally incentivize folks to come to Christ, to fish for them? I say, yes, but more than that, because here's why there's actually an old Testament background to that idea of being a fisher of men and it has everything to do with a new authority. And you can go back into places such as Jeremiah, let me get my notes, chapter 16, verses 6 to 18, Ezekiel 12, Amos 1, Amos 4, and here's what you find. That in the Old Testament, when an empire overtook another empire, they captured them with nets and with hooks. In fact, Amos chapter four uses the term hooked specifically talking about the Assyrian empire hooking the people of Israel and carrying them to the empire. 
in, in Jeremiah and Ezekiel use the language of netting people. When it talks about Babylon coming and taking the southern kingdom, they would throw their nets over them and take them into their empire. And so here's the picture, that when a new authority and a new empire comes on the scene, if you're resistant to that authority, they will fish for you. They will hook you or they will net you and they will take you to a place where there's a new authority, where there's new customs, where there's a new king. Think about Daniel in the Old Testament. So when Jesus is telling his disciples that we want you, I want you to be fishers of men, he is saying, I am coming as king. I'm the new authority. There's a new beginning with me. There's a new customs. There's a new lifestyle. There's a new law. And I want you to hook people and net people and bring them under this authority. That's called discipleship. Teach them to walk in every aspect of life under this new rule in this new reign. But here's the difference. Jesus doesn't call his disciples, people expanding his rule and reign with hooks but with hugs, I had to alliterate, I'm sorry. But he does it with love. He nets people with his grace. And they are captured and then carried into his kingdom. It's unbelievable. And we'll talk about discipleship more. But when Jesus is calling them, he says, I want you to be a fishers of men. This isn't some like, hey, when you're free and you have time to go to the coast and you can put a shrimp on a hook and throw it in there and wait and enjoy the weather, that's what I want you to do for my kingdom. He's not saying that. He's saying, we're going to be aggressive in taking this place with my love and grace, one heart at a time. And my MO, says Jesus, is to use you. It's crazy. You say, well, I can disqualify by that, man. I can't do that. I don't even like fishing. <laughs> Cast netting, what's that? We just always disqualify ourselves. But this is so powerful. The ground of the call of the king is grace and grace alone. And I brushed by this phrase quickly, but if you look down, he says, uh, I will make you become at the end of 17. I will make you become fishers of men. I will make you become. He shapes us with his grace. He crafts us for, with, for his call. He seriously makes us for this movement of discipleship by his grace and by his love. These disciples were buffoons. They never got it. They were so slow in understanding. In chapter four, they literally don't understand Jesus's teaching on the kingdom. They're like, uh, like, what does that mean, Jesus? They are literally lacking conviction of Jesus's teaching in chapter six, to the point where one of them rebukes Jesus. They fought, they argued over who was the greatest in the kingdom. They had the whole thing that Jesus taught upside down. They were prayerless, they were courageless, to the extent that Mark, when he talks about the disciples who ran from Jesus in his hour of temptation, he actually describes himself in this book as running away naked. Like there's no sense in this book that disciples are some gold standard that no one can achieve. It is actually this low bar that everybody who is familiar with Jesus has an invitation to follow Jesus. 
And the only person that really understands the message in Mark is the Roman centurion after Jesus dies on the cross. The cross is the center to our transformation. The ordinary people want to move from familiarity, just knowing who Jesus is, knowing about him, I can answer questions, to really follow him because you've been captured by his love, hooked by his grace, drawn in by his spirit, so that you can just, as this there's a line from class, you cannot just see Jesus as a, a Lord. He's a Lord, but to live with him as Lord in every aspect of your life. This is for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and 29. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Sorry, you can't disqualify yourself. God is in the business of making us by his mercy, shaping us by his grace and his love. You know what in this, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, for it's by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of your own doing. It's a free gift of God, not of work, so that no one can boast. For we are Christ's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You see, this is what he does. He says, I will make you disciples. He's not asking you to come with your resume or your CV, to come with all of this list of things that you want to do for the kingdom. He's just asking for your heart. Let me make you into a disciple and a fisher of men. Trust me. Follow me. James and John, Simon and Andrew, it says that they immediately dropped their nets. They immediately stopped cleaning their nets. Now we've talked this word immediately, it means suddenly. There's a significant moment. And you know what's significant about this? That these sons walk away from a family business in small town Galilee where fishing is the livelihood. Could you imagine the scandal? Suddenly they, they drop the nets that they were long familiar with. Suddenly they drop the nets of, of what they had been trained to do and what they would take over from their father. Suddenly they were netted by God's grace and hooked by his love and drawn by his spirit to follow. The business becomes the background and the king is set before them. Now, I need to address this. Mitchell are you saying that vocation doesn't matter, that business doesn't matter, and that we just need to leave everything and follow Jesus? No. The business stayed. You can go to John 21, and you see that they go back to fishing. The boats are there. The servants are there. We're talking about priorities. And let me reinforce this, okay? God, Jesus uses construction, winemaking, farming, ranch management, labor, family business, politics, investments. All these businesses he uses to illustrate the advancement of the kingdom. The problem is that when we see the priorities of our business or our vocation or good things of this world in conflict with the kingdom and we don't follow the king and live obediently to him, that's called idolatry. 
But business is always dignified in Scripture as a vehicle to advance the kingdom of God. We should celebrate that. We need Christians in every sphere of life, from politics to business to education, everywhere. This isn't saying that. It is questioning priorities. Now, there are times when Jesus calls people totally away from business and family and even your own country, calls people overseas. I pray that people from our church will feel called overseas to Mexico to go serve in Turkey, equipping leaders of the Muslim world over there. I pray that people, God will call people to Indonesia and Argentina. I pray that. That would necessitate that you would probably leave your business, although there is business as mission. But that's not the point of this passage. When there's a personal and conflicting priority with your uh, uh, life in this world, then we need to repent of that. There's fear there because we're not believing the truth of Jesus over the comforts of our culture, our own status, our own significance, um, and sense of self-worth. Business is, is a vehicle. But following Jesus is really difficult. And Jesus says, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. It is a discipleship in all of life. It is coming into this new beginning as new creations with a new king and a totally new authority. And I'll tell you, the teaching is very difficult. I told our tribe group this week, I got a little mad at Jesus a couple of weeks ago on some of his teaching on discipleship. When Luke 6, uh, I was wrestling with something in my heart, and Jesus, I read Jesus say, uh, love your enemies and do good to those that hate you. And I said to Jesus, I don't like this teaching. I think this teaching is too difficult to be a disciple. I don't like it. I don't want to love my enemies right now. I don't want to do good to people that are misrepresenting me right now. And you know what Jesus said back to me? It's crazy. He said, take up your cross. Follow me. Die to yourself so that other can, others can live. Have you forgotten the gospel? You are my enemy. I died for you. You were dead. I died so that you could live. Don't walk in the customs of the culture and the patterns of this world. Renew your mind in view of my mercy. Walk in love, learning to give yourself as I have given myself for you. Follow me as my disciple. Drop the nets of your pride and your arrogance and let the nets of my grace grab you and teach you my real authority. Discipleship following Jesus is difficult, but when we live in a, a world with competing kings and competing empires, we've got to be disciplined in what it means for us to live with Jesus as king. So I'm going to give you a few takeaway things. First, I'm going to ask you, whose call are you responding to? Are you responding to the call of the current political environment, the call of the current economic environment? Are you responding to the call of your heritage? For me, I've mentioned this before, racism runs deep in my family. Generations and generations deep. Part of me learning to, to be biblical in my life, discipled by the word of God, is trying to be intentional about seeing my blind spots, personally, systemically, and seeking to make a redemptive change where possible. But what about you? 
Who's discipling you? Whose call are you really being shaped by? Secondly, I want to challenge you. Jesus calls you to follow him in all of your life. When the Old Testament people of God were taken into exile, it wasn't a selective part of their life that they had to obey him. They had a completely new environment, a completely new beginning, completely new customs, and a completely new world. When Jesus captures us with his net of grace and hooks us with his love, carries us in our empire, Paul, in his empire, Paul uses this language in Colossians chapter 1. He says that you've been ripped from the domain, the empire, the kingdom of darkness, and you've been transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, through whom you have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Have you responded to the real call of Jesus? Or are you just familiar with him? I know people who know a lot about Jesus in the Bible, but they don't know Jesus personally as Lord. And Jesus knows that this is a temptation for us. That's why at the, at the end of Matthew 25, when it's a picture of Jesus returning, he's sitting on the throne and he's judging. He's not judging between evil wicked and redeemed, he's judging between people who all call themselves Christians, sheep and goats. And he says to them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. The opportunity for personal interrogation is paramount. Are you just familiar with Jesus? Or are you really following him? Dropping the nets, every other priority, every other, every other thing that's in authority in this world and in your heart, all your idols, dropping it and living with him as king. That's the opportunity. Thirdly, open your heart. Open your heart to calling others to follow Christ. Disciples make disciples. The last commandment to the most committed disciples in Matthew 28 is to go and make disciples of all nations. And the way Jesus begins that, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples. Are you pouring into people are people pouring into you, holding you accountable, ensuring that you are grounded in the grace of God, living in a heart of gratitude, looking back for God's covenant faithfulness, seeing most clearly at the cross, moving forward in a posture of generosity, giving and loving as he has given into you, and growing, growing and maturing in Christ. That's the opportunity God gives us. Paul had disciple Timothy. Jesus had disciples of James and John and Simon and Andrew and eight others that followed him for three years. Moses discipled Joshua. Ruth discipled Naomi. Intergenerational reality of our congregation is one of our greatest assets. Let's embrace the power of the kingdom and being a disciple-making culture. Fourth, and finally, Let's walk the same path as Jesus. 
Let's follow him in our finances. Let's follow him in our relationships. Let's follow him in our businesses and use our, all of our places of influence to advance his kingdom. Let's follow him in our society where we really believe that it's better to give than receive, where we really believe that we're called to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us. Let's follow Jesus and take up our crosses. Let's follow Jesus and deny ourselves so that others can live. Let's do that so that we can proclaim the kingdom of God with our Savior. Let's do it in our hearts. Let's do it in our homes. C.T. Studd, I referred to him last week or two weeks ago in a sermon. Uh, He says this. He says, the light that shines the furthest always burns the brightest at home. What if you just prioritized three, three nights a week, you're going to have family discipleship, just prayer, just Bible time, whoever you live with, kids, roommates, we're just going to sharpen each other and have that light shine bright at home and try to be disciples, and let's, let's see how far Jesus will let that light shine. Let's do it in our hearts, in our homes, and let's do it for others. Here's the truth. The, the kings of our culture, the authorities of our world, they don't renew and they don't restore. They destroy. They're of darkness and they're of death. But people who follow Jesus are in the kingdom of light and the kingdom of love. And if we really love people, then we're going to extend an invitation for them to follow Jesus. We're praying for dozens of people to come to Christ. Maybe people who are familiar with Christ, they've never really given their life to Christ to learn to really follow him. We're praying for that. We're also praying for people to be just drawn by the Spirit of God. God wants to use you, an ordinary person, to do extraordinary things. The final verse, and I want to read, how serious is the New Testament about this? Therefore, says Paul, be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love as Christ has loved us and given himself for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word and your work. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you are king. Thank you that you call people, you capture people to come to yourself. Lord, forgive us for being content with being familiar. Please forgive us, Lord, for not trusting you and following you. Forgive us, Lord, for having priorities of our culture and our heart be more important than priorities of the kingdom. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would ambush us, convict us, teach us. By your grace, will you make us to become fishers of men? In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen.